This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Casey Olander, and I'm the web content specialist here at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And today, we're going to be discussing innovative apologetics for Gen Z. So that's those people that are born approximately from 1997 onward, uh, how we can reach them and equip them. And today, we're excited because our guest is Mary Jo Sharp. She is an author and speaker and apologist, and she's the founder of Confident Christianity, which is an apologetics ministry. She's a former atheist from the Pacific Northwest who now holds a master's in Christian apologetics from Biola, and she teaches at Houston Baptist University, which is now Houston Christian University. Mary Jo, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Casey. It's so good to be on. <laughs> yes, we know you've been on the show several times, so we appreciate you coming back and, and being with us. Um, so like I said, today we're focusing specifically on uh, Gen Z and uh, some of an innovative ways that we can reach them um, with apologetics. And so you're really well suited for this conversation because of your um, background in apologetics. And so first of all, um, I just want to set the table for us. Can you give us a, a quick definition? What is apologetics and why does it matter? Oh, yeah, very good. Uh, so apologetics, th that word is a transliterated word uh, straight out of Koine Greek from the scriptures, from the Bible. And you can find it in 1 Peter 3.15, where it says, or Peter's saying, always be prepared to give a defense of the reason of your hope. And that word defense is apologia. So it means to make a case to give that defense. Um, and that, you know, if you're like, okay, that yeah, that's great. But what does it mean? Well, you know, it's like what a lawyer used to do. We used to call them apologists because they were making cases. So if that kind of, it's not apologizing, it's <laughs> giving that defense. Um, why is it important is because it's, um, you know, it helps people, apologetics is this field that helps people answer these big questions about why we believe in God. Uh, so it answers, um, you know, objections to Christianity, such as, you know, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? How do I know Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, why do you say God exists? Those kinds of questions. So, objections uh, to the Christian faith. But then it also builds that case, like Peter was saying, that case for why we believe. So, it makes a positive case uh, for Christianity as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, how did you get into this area of uh, apologetics specifically geared towards Gen Z? Ah, um, how I got into the, well, basically I got into the field of apologetics because I doubted my own faith. Uh, so this is not something I meant to get into. I was actually a music teacher. I taught band in the public schools. And uh, I went through a time of just serious doubt based in the sort of the hypocrisy I saw in the church. And also um, just a lot of the, the pain and hurt that I experienced in the church. It caused me to question whether or not people took... Um, the Bible seriously and whether or not they really believed in God and in Jesus. And so that launched me into searching for the answers to my own questions about the faith. Uh, so that's kind of how I got involved with apologetics. I started teaching in my church. I went 
and I saw that there was a degree that I could get in apologetics where I could go very uh, deep into this field. And so that was something that I did as well. And I ended up, you know, all of that ended up in a ministry that I really didn't mean to have. Um, I started a blog on the defense of the resurrection called Confident Christianity. And that led to all sorts of other things, uh, writing books, and then eventually this professorship. Um, now for Gen Z, I, my heart has always been for students. Um, when I was, you know, a student myself in high school, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to specifically teach students a love of music, like I had a love of music. But uh, that that sort of teacher attitude, that desire for, you know, helping others uh, learn and get excited about learning has been something that has always been with me. And so it doesn't matter what generation we're talking about. I just love, um, I love being in that learning process alongside those who are engaging in their own education, especially young learners who are open to new ideas and discovering things for the first time. Yes, that's amazing. I love that you already had a heart for young people. And that was something that the Lord used once you came to faith that you wanted to continue that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would you say is um, some things that are maybe unique about Gen Z? They're, you know, the young people of today, they're kind of the like high school into young adulthood right now. Um, what are some uh, traits that are unique to describe them? Yeah. Um, so first I'll say, you know, whenever we do this, we're sort of doing um, – we're stereotyping, but in sort of the positive sense of that term. So just, you know, you're always going to find people this doesn't apply to. Right. There's the there's the caveat, the <laughs> professor caveat. Um, but their overall characteristics, I mean, first of all, they were, there's a lot of things that come from them being born as digital natives. So they were born into this world with technology, whereas like their pre, the, the generation right before them, the millennials, Gen Y, you know, they, be, they were introduced to technology um, young in their life, but these guys are the first digital natives. So um, there's some things about them that are challenging about um, that sort of fact about them. One is that because they've always been surrounded by um, you know, technology and they've ad had access to social media and the internet, they, they, actually, they actually get referred to as uh, the loneliest generation mm. because they spend um, endless hours online and that can foster feelings of isolation and depression. So it's an important thing to keep like sort of in the background is these guys um, are those digital natives who do a lot of their fact finding and um, their socialization through the internet. Um, they're also, they're going to be the last generation. And at least I, I'm, I'm guessing this applies to America that is predominantly white. Mm. So a slight majority of Gen Z is white and then you have Hispanic and black and Asian. So they're, they're, the trend is changing there. According to some of the statistics of Gen Z, they overall just characteristic wise, um, they are highly collaborative. Uh, they're a highly collaborative group. And um, though they're sort of self-motivated, self-driven, they, they're, yeah, they're collaborative and social. They value flexibility, relevance, um, authenticity. And, and this, I've given some of this from a, a study being done by Roberta Katz um, at Stanford Center for Advanced Study in the Behavioral Sciences. And she says that they, um, they have this attitude um, of non-hierarchical leadership. Hmm. And I think that's really important because instead of like um, 
where maybe Gen Z boomers, we value having those leaders that sort of pull us along as authorities. And, um, you know, there's a hierarchy and you can see that sort of in the church as well, right? We really trust in those uh, authorities. I think Gen Z, according to Katz, Gen Z is more about this collaborative effort and bringing everybody's skills um, to the table. And so there's that's where the, I think that also plays into the authenticity of um, every individual. So, uh, you know, translating this over to like the church and their participation, um, they're a little bit more skeptical of the church and its purpose. Um, and that trust, they're a little more skeptical of trusting in the leader's authority uh, just because they're uh, the leader. So they, um, you know, they're a little bit disillusioned with what we're doing in church and why we're doing it. And probably these whole, like all these stories of people falling, you know, um, where we're seeing cases of abuse and stuff like that uh, is adding to that disillusionment. So they're, they kind of feel disconnected. But the good thing about them is that they value very much um, in-person communication, right? So that's going back to their digital uh, nativeness <laughs> because they're digital natives. And then they have that sort of feeling of disconnectedness overall and disconnectedness from the church. They actually do very much value mentorship, um, being there with them, the in-person communication that they're not getting from their digital landscape. So those are, those are some of the things like generally, and then related to the church about Gen Z. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's, of course, yeah, broad strokes. But by virtue of the world that they're growing up in, with so much technology that's just ubiquitous, you know, you can't, you know, go five steps without seeing somebody on their smartphone and, um, yeah, all kinds of things like that. That makes sense that it's shaping this uh, generation. Um, and so it seems like that uh, is something that we could almost capitalize on, um, the fact that they're so um, integrated with technology. It's part of their school. It's part of their socializing. It's part of their um, even could be part of their spiritual walk. Um, can you speak a little bit to the value of uh, like media to reach young people then for the gospel? Yeah, I think it's really important that we um, are attentive to being in their space, where they're at. And um, there was one study that came out, and I wish I could cite it for you where it was, but um, that's sort of slipping my mind. But it's the it says, where are they going? Where is Gen Z going to gather their information? And that is TikTok. And YouTube, <laughs> TikTok and YouTube. Now, YouTube, I kind of get it because you do those long videos, right? But TikTok, you know, the quick hits. Um, and that that makes uh, conveying these hard truths of the Christian faith um, difficult because trying to distill, you know, like the doctrine of the Trinity down into a minute clip or less <laughs> when it's like thousands of years of study on this is really difficult. But um, that's one of the things we have to pay attention to is where they're at and being in those spaces. Um, another thing about that is because they're digital natives, they, um, they're used to seeing really good uh, digital media. So the aesthetic quality of what we're doing is important in reaching Gen Z and in communicating with them because, you know, the gaming worlds that they've been a part of since 
you know, forever for them <laughs> since they're born. The gaming universes that are created are gorgeous. They're detailed, they're beautiful, um, they're the highest quality visual arts. And so one of the things about communicating with Gen Z is that visual element or the element of excellence in how we're communicating our ideas. I, I think I'll just tag this on there. Um, I think for Gen Z, especially, you know, excellence in storytelling is going to be a big part of communicating the gospel to them as well. Absolutely. Yeah, you think about, um, yeah, they have <laughs> very high standards because that's just what they're accustomed to. And so um, I can even think of um, the fact that uh, I think that part of your testimony was the fact that you were drawn to beauty in nature. I mean, I almost see a little bit of that. And, you know, as humans, we have these artistic endeavors. And so pursuing yeah. creative, creative things and doing it with excellence um, can be a way that we reach out to, to people who are so accustomed to this high standard of excellent quality media through, like you said, video games or videos and uh, the content that they're they're consuming. Um, so why would you say that we um, need innovative apologetics? Uh, obviously, we're not innovating the truth. Like you said, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity is very old. We're not innovating like new ideas in that way. But um, yeah, why and maybe how do we um, innovate our presentation of um, yeah historic Christian truths to this new audience? Yeah. Um, well, Christianity has always... Um, you know, it, like what you said, it has its truths, but it always has understood. I, I say Christian, I'm personifying Christianity a little bit, but in the Christian faith here, we've always understood that we need to communicate the gospel in a way that makes sense to the culture who is receiving it. Um, so, you know, if we have a missionary and they're speaking to somebody in another country um, who may have not heard the gospel, you know, like a tribe off, off in some distant, you know, on a mountain somewhere. <laughs> We, we understand that we have to make it um, understandable to that culture. And I think that's one of the things that we have to do with um, any generation that we're trying to reach. It's just, it seems difficult because it's our culture, right? It's our generation. It's These are our students that we're talking about and, and we live in this culture. But as Gen Z is changing, um, we need to make sure that we are adapting to um, that change to communicate the same truths of Christianity that we've always been communicating. So some of the things like we've been talking about are um, do, doing our communication with excellence um, and not just in visual, like we're not just, I, I, I could see somebody saying, oh, you're just playing into the consumerist mentality that's all around us by, you know, doing great visuals and, and all of that, trying to hook them, you know, with a, like a, a really beautiful video, but at the same, we're, we're trying to, be where they're at is what we're trying to say. And we also see the the opposite of that, which is that not only does Gen Z, they live in that environment, but they're saying, hey, I want in-person communication. That's what they value um, above the other forms. And so there's that element of not only are we going to have to be innovative in staying up to date with the excellence in our art forms and in the way that we're communicating things, if we're going to do videos and all that, but there's the flip side the Gen Z doesn't just want that. They want the in-person communication. They want the mentorship. Um, and that's not just meeting together on a Sunday morning, you know, with 500 people in your congregation. That's not what they're asking for. They're asking to know that they matter individually and that you care for them for who they are on an individual basis. So also being 
attentive to smaller group settings uh, to one-on-one mentorship with um, Gen Z students. That's going to be really important. So uh, ways that you can do that, uh, you know, we have the Darkroom Faith series where it's a series of videos, but it also has curriculum and content in which you can interact. You can watch the videos. You can say, hey, hey, I saw this series. Um, how about we take a look at you know, like one video per week and then you and I can like meet for lunch and discuss what you thought of that. So just having that one-on-one interaction is really important for Gen Z. Yes, that completely makes sense. Yeah, we want people to consider ways that they're able to connect with Gen Z, not just to present information, but to really live life and come alongside. Um, yeah, so can you talk a little bit more about Darkroom? What was your role in this project? So Darkroom um, Faith is a apologetics video series. It's a 14-part video series, and it has a full curriculum. And the really neat thing about this, um, one of the things I'm like most excited about is we're offering it free. Um, and we're also making it of highest aesthetic quality. So um, we're really trying to meet Gen Z. And then we're really trying to offer this to anybody who wants to utilize it. Um, my role in this was that I, I was director of content. So um, I was working alongside the screenwriters and the um, the producers and the directors of the, you know, the film directors, as well as alongside the experts. I really helped to bring in the, um, the apologetics experts. So the way that the, the that we did this um, was that we did a casting call for Gen Z stories across the United States. What is it that you are struggling with and how would you frame that? So we got all these stories from students all over the United States and they have these questions that they're asking or things that they're struggling with. So um, we use those stories in our video series, but then we needed to have some kind of response. How would you, you know, as a, an apologist, how would you answer this? And what's a, what's a good metaphor or analogy that you might use, um, you know, to communicate this truth to a student. And so we worked with apologists uh, from all over the country, like Sean McDowell and um, Rebecca McLaughlin and Rachel Gilson and Adam Coleman. Um, We just, we worked with a bunch of apologists who would act as our expert voice, but they're not just coming out and disseminating information. The videos are, um, they have these creative ways of communicating the experts language that the screenwriters wrote right into the story. And so it's really, it's really a neat way and a unique way to um, present some of these issues that Gen Z is dealing with. Yes, it almost conveys this idea that, you know, like, if you have this question, you're not alone, you know, like you see this play out. And even though it's scripted, it's based on real questions that people are actually asking at this age. And so it engages them with, yeah, things that they're really, it's it's a felt need, I would say that it um, addresses. And yeah, I've seen the videos, they're very well done. And um, yeah, the website provides all kinds of, of resources. And um yeah, provides that avenue, like you said, for not just presenting information, but also providing um, a, a conversation starter for people who are looking to to engage with Gen Z. Um, so where did the name Darkroom come from? Ah, that's a great one. <laughs> I really like this. We actually started out with a different name and we realized that our name probably only appealed to boomers and Gen X. (laughs) That's not going to work. So we changed to dark room and it it centers on, there's one of the episodes that's on pain and suffering. And um, our student is in the video. He's dealing with a lot of bullying. He's dealing with um, very dark thoughts about his own life. And um, as he's struggling through this along the way, he discovers that one of his passions is photography. And so, um, he's 
you know, he starts to develop his love of photography and how he and his pain and suffering can minister to other people who are also in pain and suffering by, you know, taking photographs of them and sharing this with them. And you see him in the video, he's in it, he's doing old school photography, not digital <laughs> stuff. He's actually doing old school photography where you have to go into the dark room, uh, the photographic dark room to develop your um, pictures, you know, your pictures of life. And so the metaphor is that sometimes our faith develops in those dark places in our lives. Um, you know, the dark night of the soul, the the wandering through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, there's things, there's places and things that we go through um, that helped us to develop uh, our faith in God. And so the dark places can seem kind of scary and confusing, but they can help us develop. That's the the sort of metaphor for the dark room uh, series. Yeah, I love that. That's creative. And um, yeah, I think really a helpful, helpful metaphor. Uh, can you speak a little bit to the significance of en- engaging with those doubts, whether it's, you know, because of suffering or because of, you know, any sort of personal dark night of the soul? Uh, what is the value of um, like maybe leaning into that? Uh, like, how does that grow someone's faith? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that we do as human beings is that when we're young, we sort of trust in authorities and we trust in the people over us. Um, You know, we don't have a lot of experience with life yet. We're just kind of trusting our parents and the church leaders and other people that what they say is actually true. But as we grow older, you know, you start getting your ability to have abstract thought when you're a preteen, you start thinking through things and you're like, well, how do I know this? Um, Why do I trust my parents? Why do I trust what these people are telling me? I think that is a natural part of growing up and becoming an adult. What it does is it takes um, like your beliefs, it takes it and it matures them so that they're no longer just, you believe this because your parents did or, you know, whoever. But now you're starting to question it. You're starting to dig into it to to um, come to the place where this is what I personally believe. It's taking ownership of your faith. So it's I think it's part of like ask, answering these doubts and asking these questions is part of the maturing of the individual believer so that they can grow into adulthood, which is part of becoming Christ-like. And, and actually, as you read through the New Testament, Paul is constantly encouraging believers to grow up in the faith, uh, to grow and to learn about God and to uh, move from you know the, the simplistic uh, ways of knowing into deeper ways of knowing God and learning about Him and the deep doctrines of the faith. He's constantly pushing us on into that. And so, this is sort of mirroring that the reason we do this, the reason we ask questions, this the value of the struggle with the doubt is that it does mature you in the faith. Absolutely. So if someone is wrestling with, um, you know, wondering, does God really exist? You know, does he really love me? Is he really good? Any of these questions, it's not something to be ashamed about or to, you know, hide from people, but rather something to lean into and, um, yeah, to really press forward because it can lead to that maturity. And uh, it seems like, um, also from what you're saying, if Gen Z is really valuing this authenticity and wanting this in-person connection with people, then that's a great opportunity for church leaders to come alongside Gen Z and to love them, like you said, love them where they are, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And and one of the things is uh, that we have to remember is that uh, Gen Z, like any young generation, is seeing things a little bit differently, and they're um, they're saying things differently than like than my generation. And uh, so, yeah, we it, 
this is an opportunity for us to really listen to them, to really see what their fears are, what their doubts are, where they're at, what their concerns are, because their concerns a lot of times are going to be different from um, even millennial, you know, like older millennials or Gen Z. They're going to be different because we grew up in a different time frame than them. So um, this is like, I, I really like Dark Room because of the fact that it's from Gen Z with what they're st- struggling with in their own language. You know, a lot of times we like to say, oh, no, no, that's not the way to say that, or you shouldn't say it that way. This is what we're trying to do is hear them and engage them with where they're at, with how they understand, um, with how they understand the world. And that's, that's an important part of that authenticity, like you were mentioning, uh, to really hear them out, really listen to them and see what, you know, what is, what is it they're trying to say and connect with them on that. Yeah. So what is the best way, um, or I'm sure there are several good ways, but what is the best way for people to utilize these uh, darkroom videos? Oh, there's a couple of different ways. Uh, You know, we sort of had in mind like youth groups could use them, student ministries. Uh, So, you know, the leader could show the video to the group and then they can maybe break out into small groups and discuss the content. And And we have a leader guide for that, which gives you all the resources to sort of do that. Plus we have like there's PowerPoint in there. If you go to the website and you um, enter in your email, you have access to like the PowerPoint, all of the you know social media shareables, and then all the resources that we give you the leader guide and more. Um, so you could do it that way. Like you share it with your youth group. You could also um, you don't just have to limit to that. You know you can share it one on one with somebody. I was alluding to that earlier that if there's a person you know is struggling with a certain issue, you can say, "Hey, I found this video. Um, love to discuss what you think about it." Um, and then you yourself have access to all those resources to be able to uh, engage the person one on one as well. Right. So it seems like it's uh, it doesn't have to be you know like leave it to the professional ministers or people who have a ton of experience with Gen Z. But it seems like it gives um, a really good on ramp for anybody to be able to at least start conversations. Yeah, that's what we tried to do. Like we tried to um, with the videos specifically. We try to like not wrap everything up real tidy, so that the person who was encountering the video could like have a hot second to really think through (laughs) what was just presented to them. And then we give all this content, you know, the leader guide so that you have, you feel more competent. You feel like you have some resources to be able to share with either the student group or with a, you know, an individual. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, especially as we're thinking about, uh, you said like, you know, maybe other generations have a different perspective. Like this is a way to, to really meet them where they are, to see what questions they're asking. And, and perhaps this video articulates something that they've felt, but never expressed or like haven't had the words for. Um, so that could be a a cool avenue. Um, at the very least, too, to get it from the digital world where they might be seeing it for the first time, too, like a real life in-person conversation where you can really express this doubt or this fear that you have to someone and not be afraid of um, being uh, turned away or looked down on for for having questions. Um, can you speak a little bit to that, um, like your experience with uh, maybe the church when when somebody did like engage the questions that you had and when um, maybe it, it wasn't as helpful and you... Um, yeah. How did people respond to you having questions? You, you mentioned that earlier. I, yeah. Um, mine was sort of a mixed bag because <laughs> I uh, quickly got involved with ministry after becoming a Christian. Uh, and my husband became a minister, like he was called into ministry. So for me, um, I sort of naively expected that I could carry on asking 
a lot of questions, you know, and challenging things when I was a very young Christian. And I, that wasn't received very well. I wasn't, those questions weren't received. Um, at least I'm perceiving they weren't received sure. well because you know, people, I never got the response. Well, you just have to have faith, even though I hear that, like I hear other people tell me when they had a question, that's what they got as right. an answer, which always shocks me that anybody would, you know, like really just avoid the question altogether and say that. But it's pretty common. Uh, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it, surprisingly so. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was more of a you know shifting of the conversation, not answering the question, um, getting upset, getting agitated with me if I asked it in like a Sunday school type setting. <laughs> How um, or, <laughs> yeah, just getting kind of agitated because the leader didn't have the answer. Instead of just saying like, Hey, that's a good question, Mary Jo. You know what? I don't know that. They would get agitated with me. And uh, so when I was asking the questions, I started to realize, you know, in it indirectly that these were not welcome questions, that I was just supposed to listen to the teaching and assume everything was true and that everybody else assumed belief in God and that the Bible was true and all of this stuff. And uh, so, I learned to kind of stop asking the question. And when and when my husband was a minister, I, I figured out real quickly that this was unwelcome from the minister's wife, like never welcome. Yeah, I'm not supposed to ask questions. I'm not supposed to have doubt. I'm just there you know, sort of to cheerlead my husband along. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So would you say, um, I guess, how would you respond to someone who maybe suggests that there's like a tension or an opposition between faith and reason? Oh, that's a good one. I would say good job for like sort of bringing that up, asking the question, because this is a question that Christians have been asking since we've had Christianity and, and writing on, right? This is a philosophical question that has been written about um, since the, you know, since we've had our teachers in Christianity, since the apostles. Um, so, the tension between faith and reason is, it's been resolved in different ways. Some people say, you know, like they're opposites. <laughs> That's it. That's the old Mark Twain saying, faith is believing in what you know ain't so. But uh, that's not the cr- traditional Christian understanding. Christians believe um, that faith and reason go hand in hand. Um, you know, they're, that God himself, the giver of all truth, uh, gave us the good gift of reasoning, of rationality. Mm-hmm. And so, we already use it to know our God. Um, but then there's a certain point at which human reasoning um, can only go so far, right? Because we aren't God. We don't have absolute knowledge. So, our knowledge gets us only so far. And that's where, you know, that's where you have the 
where faith comes in. Um, and it's not the only place where faith comes in, but that is like, if you're just talking about the relationship of like rationality, sort of reasoning and faith, there's, that's one way that you can look at it, um, is that you can only go so far with human reasoning. There are things that you're going to have to trust. And when you get into the Hebrews passage, uh, that a lot of people like to quote of faith is believing, um, you know, faith is that belief in the hope, um, that's coming. I'm not quoting that right, but. They use it as saying sort of like the Mark Twain believing in what you don't have evidence of. But then if you keep following that Hebrews passage, you see that God gave evidences of himself. He has evidence to who he is and the kind of being that he is in his love and care for us. Uh, and the greatest example of that was the incarnation um, of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. So you have the evidence of God. The nature of God, that he is a loving God, that he's a just God, that he cares for his creation and he values it greatly. So um, faith is also trusting in what you know is true. And that's very C.S. Lewis of me, but that's kind of how he said it. Like faith also applies to uh, you already have this belief, you know, this is true. You've evidenced it, you've reasoned it. And now faith is that next step of trusting in that belief. Right. So, yeah, people don't need to feel any shame or feel like they're the first one to be asking this question because, like you said, like this is like conversations like these philosophical questions, faith and reason uh, have been going on for a long time. And uh, I also think that there shouldn't be this fear that somehow Christianity will collapse under the weight of my questioning it. You know, like <laughs> God is bigger than, um, than us, than the questions we have. And so, um, yeah, we may not have every single answer as, as thoroughly as we would like it, but there's evidence and there's um, rationality that we can definitely um, engage with and and be equipped with. So it seems like um, that's uh, maybe a way to, to reach out to Gen Z, like to people who, you know, don't know Christ yet, but also a way to um, like equip Gen Z. The um, Can you speak a little bit to that, like how to um, help them mature and grow in their faith? Gen Z may be like, you know, if they're transitioning from high school to college or college to the adult world. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just Gen Z and like other humans, um, <laughs> you, you want to tell them that, you know, you affirm that they are digging through these hard questions uh, that, like you said, there's, there's not a shame in that. There's no shame in asking hard questions and growing up in the faith and maturing in what you believe. So I want to make sure that, you know, uh, as, as I'm talking to them that I am affirming the human being that is behind the questioning, right? That there's a person back there and that they're, you know, I don't know why they're asking the question they're asking. Um, there's a lot of uh, concern from Gen Z with what they're seeing in Christian leadership when you have these stories coming out you know, almost monthly about somebody else who is going to jail for pedophilia and was a longtime pastor of a church or the, you know, the cover-ups of abuse. That's that, we can't discredit that. You know, I'm, I'm one of the people that says the litmus truth for Christian, or the litmus test for Christianity cannot be the behaviors of the believers, but yet at the same time, we have to acknowledge that the behaviors of the believer, believers are actually communicating to our world and to younger people in the Christian faith about the truthfulness of, you know, Christianity in that existential way. And so there's like this sort of like, we have to acknowledge that as well. And I think telling, telling younger, stu you know, students in the faith that in Gen Z that 
we acknowledge that these things happen and that they're wrong and that people fall. Um, I think it's important not to try to you know sweep it under the rug, but actually deal with it, confront it, face on, and and affirm that you know they have these questions that are born out of this doubt. Sometimes it is just intellectual doubt, Casey. I mean, I've that's sort of rare. I've heard some people just say, "Hey, I don't know how you know the Bible came to be" or something like that. But I think for the most part, there since you can't separate out the intellect from desire, will, and emotion. I mean, they all go together. That we have to acknowledge. That what people are seeing from Christians also is causing them to have big questions. And so the hypocrisy of the church is becoming a big objection to belief in God. Yes. Yeah, so it seems sort of like, um, yeah, people aren't just uh, asking these philosophical questions. Like a lot of times, I think what you're saying is there's something underneath it, a personal experience, a wound, a something else that is prompting them to ask this question, even though, like you said, sometimes it is just I genuinely have this intellectual question and that's worth engaging with too, right? Like <laughs> you have a degree in apologetics. I'm sure that you think that's worth engaging with and, and learning, Absolutely. More, learning more about. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, stories that you would like to share of, um, yeah, engaging uh, Gen Z with some innovative apologetics? Oh, stories I'd like to share. Um, I'm rifling through a few of them. <laughs> Which one did I share? I, I think one of the things that has really impacted me is seeing the effects of our culture on these younger students. Um, they are exposed to so much media and media, unfortunately, comes with manipulation um, and they're not as trained in how to find like um, how to how to work through what they're seeing. So, like, let me break this down into I teach a class on intro to logic. And in that class, they encounter um, what people are saying in the public realm, whether it's a political ad or it's a commercial or whatever it is. And they um, have to break it down into what's being communicated here. Do you see any faulty reasoning? And students aren't learning philosophy at the level that we used to teach it at, right? They, they rarely encounter it. And so they don't know how to make good arguments and they don't know how to break down what they're seeing. So I'm seeing the effects of sort of being batted around by cultural movements and how that affects them personally. Um, it's affecting who they think they are. And so a lot of times they're relying on cultural influence to inform them about who they are. And the problem with that is a lot of times our culture is very um, reductivist in how it views human beings. So it reduces them to um, one part of their, who they are. So it could be their sexuality. It could be their, you know, what they what they're ultimately going to do for a job or what they're going <laughs> to the one they get when they're young. Well, what are you going to go to college for? You know, like, what's your degree going to be in? So reducing them down to, you know, what they can do and what they are doing. Um, and those things, they they affect these kids. Um, they're sort of the, some of the questions I've had is they they're really struggling with who they are. They don't have that really sound teaching that you are a creation of God, that you are greatly valuable, that your life has meaning, purpose, and intention because you were made, because you're made in the image of God, and you don't need anything else to inform you or to uh, give you that value. You have it already. 
So um, I'm encountering students who are looking for that meaning, purpose, and value. Um, and they're being sort of, like I said, sort of just smacked around by cultural standards of all kinds of things, beauty and everything else. Uh, and they're, you know, beauty, success, um, and, and it's really hard on them because they have so much influence so readily accessible in their hands, you know, with their phones and on their computers. Um, so that's, I, I mean, I could go into like, what specifically are they asking? But that's sort of the general thing. Like when they come to me with a question, a lot of times it's they got something erroneous from the culture that is informing who they think they are or who they are or what they believe. And they don't know how to sift through it. They don't know um, what have they received that's manipulative versus factual versus fake news. They live in the era of fake news and deep fakes online. And so there's a lot of confusion and they're trying to search for how can I know what's true? Right. And that's that's really huge. The yeah, the identity piece, the being able to discern uh, how can I know what's true. And so that's the perfect opportunity for the church to to step in, to come alongside and to genuinely engage. We talked about a lot about the authenticity piece, but also um, in these apologetics ideas that, um, yeah, that's a that's a crucial opportunity is to, to come alongside people because they're um, genuinely desiring connection um, in addition to content. Um can you share the the name of the darkroom website and um, any other resources you'd recommend? Yes, so um, darkroom darkroomfaith.com. Um, so definitely go there and check it all out. Most of our videos are out. I think our last one is coming out on um, the week of Halloween, I believe, or just right before. So that's a great one. Um, you can go to my website, maryjosharp.com. And if you click on my resources page, I have a bunch of um, lectures and videos and re just recommendations um, for you to get started in apologetics. And um, there's a great resource that I always recommend, which is bethinking.org uh, out of the United Kingdom. And the reason I like it so much is if you click on that, it's an apologetics website that organizes all of their resources not only by like audio, video, and, um, you know, written, but also by level of understanding. So if you feel like you're a beginner in all this, you can, it'll tell you this is a beginner level, or this is intermediate, or this is advanced stuff. So bethinking.org is a great place to go as well. Um, and then the last one I want to make sure I mention is, you know, Houston Baptist University or Houston Christian University now. Uh, I teach in the Master of Arts in Apologetics, and uh, that's a fully online degree. So if you want to delve deeper into apologetics, uh, you can come study with me there at the university. That's awesome. Well, this has been really helpful. Um, I feel like we, yeah, hope that um, our listeners will consider ways that they can connect with Gen Z uh, through apologetics content. And Mary Jo has given us so many helpful resources. Um, Mary Jo, thank you so much for joining us here today at the table. Hey, Casey, it's so good to talk to you again and to be on the podcast again. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we hope that this resources Christians to live out the, the great commandment to love people and the great commission to make disciples. And so uh, Gen Z is a really awesome opportunity to do that. Um, so we're grateful to you and we're also grateful to you for listening. Uh, we thank you for joining us today on the table where we discuss issues of God and culture and hope that you'll join us next time for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast. 
which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.